You are listening to WHUPLP Hillsboro. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. Thank you very much for listening. Today's show is about the band Queen. I saw Queen in Buffalo in 1978. I don't think that there was an opening band, and Dan and I are trying to think, because we were at the same show, just not together. And uh, it was a good show. They did Bohemian Rhapsody, but when they got to the vocal part in the middle, they played a recording of it while lights were going crazy. And I remember the audience was booing for some reason. You can't really sing those parts live. But we were a fickle audience. But Queen was one of the biggest bands of the 70s and the 80s, but not so much in America. They were much bigger in England than they were in the United States, especially after their one number one album, The Game, in 1980 from which their two number one singles came. Another One Bites the Dust and Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Good songs. So I've compiled a a little list of things I wanted to talk to to you about as far as Queen is concerned. Uh, The first part is called I Like the Band Queen. And... For good or bad, they maximize the potential of the modern recording studio with repeated vocal passes until the magnetic tape was almost transparent. This is documented. Pushing the envelope literally to the breaking point. All those harmonies they did over and over and over again, some of them doubled and quadrupled, and some of it was just Freddie, and some of it was Roger Taylor and Freddie Mercury. They never, ever limited themselves to one style. One need only listen to the first four tracks of their best album, A Night at the Opera. From almost prog changes in Death on Two Legs to the underrated, brave, funny, and effortlessly whimsy lazing on a Sunday afternoon to Roger Taylor's best Queen song, which is not to say it's good, but it's his best, I'm in Love with My Car, to the light, breezy, taut pop masterpiece, You're My Best Friend, which you all know as a big hit from that album. And I didn't even mention what would come on side two of that album. That was their big artistic statement, their big explosion, their big breakthrough, especially in the the, uh, United States. No band rocked harder. Go back and listen to Tie Your Mother Down or Killer Queen, And they effortlessly mastered style after style. And surprisingly, in the time of glam, they weren't glam. They looked glam, but looks were part of the contradiction of Queen. Freddie Mercury never took himself too seriously. We all know he was gay, but we didn't care. He diffused it. In 1975, Elton John was flamboyant, but Freddie was gay. And the reason it never hurt him was because he just didn't care what people thought, ever, at all. Now, there were a lot of gay pop stars in the 70s, and, well, besides John Lennon, 
and none of them would came out as much as Freddie Mercury did. He almost made it a non-topic from the first time we saw him on television. Hits, hits, hits. All styles. You never knew what was going to come out of that radio when Queen came out with a new song. Every member wrote, and every member wrote hits. And, well, in England, they did. Uh, Roger Taylor wrote Radio Gaga, and These Are the Days of Our Lives, I think. But Radio Gaga was just his. And it was not a hit in the United States. Uh, um, big hits, never cheap, never gimmicky, even though Queen itself was a gimmick. They had a joy and a sense of daring that no one since the Beatles had tried. I cannot emphasize enough how many chances Queen took. Some, like their first song on the album Jazz, didn't land, but some most assuredly did. Uh, I will also add that no member releasing anything remotely approaching solo success, none of them released anything of any artistic merit, really. If you listen to Freddie Mercury's solo albums, you'll know what, I talk, what I'm talking about. I think this speaks to an overall undefinable chemistry, like the Beatles did. They had a chemistry with the four of them in the room. It's, it's, people said it. When you were talking to three of them or two of them, or even one of them, it was one thing. But when the four of them got together, there was something entirely different that happened. And I would imagine that the same thing was with what would happen with Queen. And any band of the time that was that just didn't care what people thought. They just did what they wanted to do. Um, now, here's the list of things I don't like about Queen. Queen had the pretension to put the words quote, no synths in their liner notes. I remember that from the first out Queen album I bought, which was News of the World. They used to put that in their liner notes. No synths. Isn't multi-tracking guitars until you gag pretty much the same thing? And making your vocal arrangements dense and multi-track to the point of sounding like a corral, to me, was the same cheat. The only difference was that you couldn't press keys to do it. You just multi-layer guitars for the same effect. I said no band rocked harder, which is true, but they were severely limited by their drummer. They couldn't swing. They never did. Cheap Trick, Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, they could swing. I never heard a Hammond organ on a Queen record or soul of any kind or real emotion except rage, lust, and occasional whimsy. There was nothing whiter than a Queen album. It's true. Go back. Listen. White. Until... So anyway, Roger Taylor should not have been allowed to put his own songs on Queen albums. Those songs were all pretty much Drek, sounding like the opposite of the good things about Queen. They sounded like studio jam sessions recorded by one guy in his basement, and I never liked a single one. His boring solo al albums bear this out. Queen is the bonafide best example. Now, when they toured for the jazz album, they also recorded a live album, which was... It was like not listening to an album at all. Um, they weren't the only ones who did that, but they released a live album as a placeholder and nothing but. If you're the hottest band in the world, and I think that they were, why break your momentum with one of the worst, most lifeless live albums of the 70s? It could only be a money grab. This is a theme with Queen. In fact, by the end, Queen, like Journey, became a money-making Queen tribute band. 
first there was Paul Rogers, and then there was that fellow from um, American Idol. I don't know what his name is. Then there was the movie, which I hated, 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 hated that movie. We'll never truly know how it went down since Roger Taylor and Brian May had control of the way the story was told with Roger De- with, um, excuse me, John Deacon's acquiescence. But I don't think he had anything to do with the plot or anything like that. As an amateur movie critic, I would have really liked a bio that discussed the band less and just focused on Freddie's amazing life, warts and all. That is the remaining member's fault. Reinventing the history, even of a band, does a disservice to Freddie Mercury. I think by now we can all handle the dissonance and contradictions of Freddie Mercury's life. And finally, The Game from 1980 was their only number one album in the U.S. None of their subsequent albums even reached the top 20. Sales don't necessarily reflect quality, But I can assure you, young reader, in this case, that the dearth or subsequent sales tell the story. Queen was decidedly on the downswing in America. Queen had two number one songs in the U.S. I already told you about them. Um, And The Game was the first album on which they copped to using synthesizers. I think they used them mostly mostly for like whooshes and effects, but not as a keyboard instrument uh, per se. And... Um, the first album on which they did use since another one bites the dust and crazy little thing called love were both departures for queen. And, um, so this podcast, podcast, uh, this, this, this radio show is all about queen, but very little queen. Every member is represented, including Paul Rogers, but only one bad company song. So give me credit for that. But like I said, queen was an unidentifiable mix of talents And not only that, their chemistry was never duplicated by them. Queen's trajectory was close to another band that um, they came right after, which was uh, The Doors. The Doors were a singles band. Queen was a singles band. I mean, they did some really bad stuff in the studio as far as uh, filler tracks, if you want. But their singles, you, you you can't top them. And when you hear them, you know who they are. It's immediately identifiable, and they are great. Just about every single that they released was great. And only Queen can do them. Only Queen could have done them. Only Freddie Mercury could have done them. All right. Uh, for their constant bravery, which cannot be faked, for their daring use of harmony, for their very underrated bassist, John Deacon, one of the best bass players of the 70s that nobody mentions. When they're listing the top 10 bass players of all time, I know John Deacon's probably not that, but he never, he doesn't even make the list, and he's good. He did exactly what those songs required. All right, so on we go with music. Uh, this first song is uh, John Deacon from 1983 with a group called Man Friday and Jive Jr. Ah. <sighs> Believe it or not. Tell him when to stop. 
what is there to say? All the mistakes we made must be faced today. It's not easy now, knowing where to start. While the world we love tears itself apart.
I love you. All right. Well, this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. My name is Gilbert Neal. This is WHUP. Thank you for coming and listening to my show about Queen. A great band. Hey. We started that set with Man Friday and Jive Jr. with Picking Up Sounds in 1983. Co-written by John Deacon. It was an offshoot of uh, of his um, teaming up with a guy named Man Friday, who's a former member of Funkapolitan. I've played them on my show. And uh, produced by Wham guitarist Robert Awai. Who is that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. After that, uh, Fun It, a Roger Taylor song from the album Jazz. I hate it. After that, Freddie Mercury with a bravura performance from the musical Time, produced by Dave Clark, our old friend from the Dave Clark Five. Produced by Dave Clark, but I don't think that he actually wrote anything on this in this musical but who knows anyway so in my defense what a wonderful performance he was a great singer and after that 
John Deacon's band before Queen, The Opposition, with their version of the Sonny Heb, Bobby Heb song, Sonny. The oft-covered version, but um, John Deacon's band only had a little bit of time in the studio. Um, According to the Queen website, it's 1970, but I think it's a little sooner than that. And they recorded two songs, uh, and then another song they improvised with the remaining studio time. And we'll hear all that later on. All right. Here's some more. And I know uh, if you listen to my show regularly and you sit there and listen every Saturday, then I played this song coming up once on my show. And it was about a few years ago. and I haven't played it since then. But I thought it was appropriate for this show to play for you because I think a lot of you probably don't know that this exists. So let's have at it. This is also garbage, by the way. What are you going to do? When the king of pop calls you, you got to answer him and his monkey friend. That's why this was never released because of uh, his monkey. I think. I don't know. Please, baby, please. 
you know how Queen would have sounded if they were produced by Phil Spector. Bad. So, we started that set with Michael Jackson and Freddie Mercury with their version of State of Shock from about 1983. Now, you know the version that was recorded ultimately by Michael Jackson and Mick Jagger, which was the biggest hit off of the Jackson's album Victory which was probably some sort of contractual obligation thing for Michael Jackson or maybe just an obligation he felt to his family because, of course, his solo career was going 
as well as any solo career had ever gone. Then he had to go in the studio and sing Torture and I Love Your Body and all that stuff. But he had a song that he had worked up with this Freddie Mercury and they recorded it. But if you look on the Googles, there is... There are some pretty good stories about Michael Jackson having a monkey in the studio and uh, Freddie Mercury being freaked out by it. I think that's how it goes. You can look it up. I don't know. But this was the first version of it, and then it was spit-shined and polished up and thrown on the Jackson's Victory album. First song, first side. Became a hit because Michael could have been throwing up a cracker and it would have gone gold after that brian may and friends the starfleet project do you see what i mean when i say the queen had a chemistry between the four of them because when they went solo it wasn't great anyway this was starfleet written by brian may well it was credited to somebody named bliss but arranged by Brian May. I don't know who Bliss is, but you just heard the long version of a song called Starfleet with Brian May on guitar and vocals, Eddie Van Halen on guitar, and you recognize his playing. Of course you do, and Becky vocals. And on drums, Alan Gratzer, who was in REO Speedwagon. Not much better than Roger Taylor as a drummer, but not much worse. And Phil Chen on bass. Did you, people of a certain age will remember when Rod Stewart sang the song Hot Legs, which was a uh, departure, let's say, for Rod Stewart. And if you saw the video for Hot Legs, you may remember Tina Turner's Hot Legs, not, not her face, but her legs being shown and Rod Stewart singing uh, the camera angle between. But if you remember that video, you remember that there is a bass solo in the middle of it, getting you ready for the guitar solo. And that bass solo is played by a fellow named Phil Chen. Phil Chen played on lots and lots and lots and lots of people's stuff. And Wikipedia says, probably best known for his later work with Raymond Zarek and Robbie Krieger. I didn't know him from that. I didn't even know that that existed. Um, Joined the Butts Band, led by Doors members Robbie Krieger and John Densmore. Well, I guess I have to just examine that, um, that the discography of the Butts Band. The Butts Band. I'm sure it's fantastic. Released two albums. Um, Who knows? Anyway, after that, Larry Lurex and his, his version of I Can Hear Music from 1973. And what that actually was, was... Um, during the summer of 73, Freddie Mercury, Roger Taylor, and Brian May recorded... I can hear music and going back to kill time when they were waiting for any available studio to work at their debut album. 
So it predated their first album, but it was not by much. A Trident producer, Robin Cable, was working at this Beach Boys song and thought Freddie's voice was perfect for that song, which is strange because I think it's sped up a little bit. It doesn't really sound like Freddie Mercury. It sounds like Freddie Mercury sped up a little bit. Did you like it? Because if you like it, it's the best. I'm Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. The Queen Show. Queen. So you will remember that when Freddie Mercury shuffled off his mortal coil, Queen did not know what to do. So they did the Freddie Mercury tribute with George Michael and a couple other folks. And then they did an album with Paul Rogers. It was not Queen. It was Queen plus Paul Rogers. Now, you know, Paul, Paul Rogers was the lead singer for the band Free. Free had a huge hit to this day. If you drive into Buffalo, you're going to hear it. And it's all right now. You know that song. All right now. Baby, it's all right now. You know that song. Of course you do. You don't have to be of a certain age to know that song. But after that band fell apart because of something bad that happened with the guitar player. I won't go into details. But he formed bad company with one of the members of free along with one of the members of I'm thinking Mata Hoopo and one of the members of King Crimson yes so you love bad company because they had huge hits in the early 70s on the swan song album which was Led Zeppelin's album, which was Led Zeppelin's label after they recorded for Atlantic. I know too much, but you know this stuff. Come on. So anyway, Bad Company had hits with "Can't Get Enough of Your Love" and um, "Feel Like Making Love" and "Rock and Roll Fantasy," which my own band at the time played. It's all part of my rock and roll fantasy. And don't you know that you are a shooting star? So Bad Company was the goods. And I, I like Bad Company because of Boz Burrell. Because he, like John Deacon, was an underrated bass player. Even though Robert Fripp had to teach him how to play bass. He was still good. Because I can't imagine Robert Fripp playing bass in any band that I would want to listen to. But what we have now coming up is a song by his, one of his early bands, um, Paul Rogers' early bands, Free. I'll get to Bad Company, but I'm only going to play one song by them because uh, I, have a very, I have a very peculiar taste as far as Bad Company is concerned. And um, since you're my therapist for the evening, you're going to have to listen to my story. Anyway, here is that thing I said I was going to do.
You're listening to WHUPLP Hillsboro.
I'm a restless kind of guy. Huh. That was John Deacon and the Immortals from 1986. No turning back. Their one song, their one release. That was that. No more. Not bad. What does it remind me of? It reminds me of... Um, I don't know. Um, Blow Monkeys. Uh, Mid-80s Genesis. Ah. Before that, uh, Larry Lurex. More of those Larry Lurex sessions going back. Larry Lurex, by the way, is a pun on someone else who was a big star at the time, Gary Glitter. And glitter, of course, is the multicolored paper bits that you throw up in the air and you throw at people and stuff. Well, Lorex is the strands of like tinsel looking stuff, multicolored stuff that you put on. Well, I throw it at people or you put it on a Christmas tree or whatever. But that's that was the name of the act. Larry Lorex. Before that, Roger Taylor from his album Strange Frontier in 1984, Killing Time. Dreadful. I, 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 horrible. I'm never, never going to play this again. And before that, my favorite song by Bad Company, Burning Sky from 1976. I like that song. I like that album. Before that, Roger Taylor. Uh, I play a lot of Roger Taylor because he released the most solo stuff is actually the truth. Um John Deacon didn't hardly release anything, like three or four songs. I had to dig deep into the stuff that he did before Queen to find enough John Deacon to justify this, or it would be just a Roger Taylor synthathon with electronic drums and lyrics about space, which he seemed to, to like a lot. All right. And then uh, before the Roger Taylor stuff, I played Free and the song called Heavy Low. Boy, I love... Paul Rogers. He just gets look for videos of Paul Rogers singing like in the last few years. He just gets better and better. He's just he's just a great singer. I mean, Queen Queen probably could have used uh, you know Freddie Mercury was kind of a uh, a uh, a force unto himself. I don't think Paul Rogers could have um, carried off obviously what what Freddie Mercury did. But if you're looking at just pure vocal skill. I mean, Paul Rogers is just as good as anyone. Um, fantastic. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D-Sides Orphans and Oddities on WHUPFM.org. Hey, look at our website. Go to um, that website I just gave you. And if you think of it, if you like what we do or um, whatever, Please contribute some money because um, we are an independent station. W-A-J-Z. An independent station. W-J-A-Z. From the foot of my pal's honey. Sweet music. Someday I'm going to, well, maybe pretty soon I'm going to have to do a Steely Dan show, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. So, I mean, I want to hear this. This is, um... Mm-hmm. 
was spoken about it at all The fact that time is running out for us all Time waits for nobody Say that 
I'll follow your casket on a pale afternoon and I'll watch while you lured down to your deathbed I'll stand over your grave till I'm sure that you're dead
correction, Paul Bliss is a real person. He's an English musician, composer uh, for the English adaptation of Starfleet, uh, backup band for backup musician for the Hollies and the Woody Blues, and a real person. So not Brian May, Paul Bliss, arranged by Brian May. Hope you enjoyed the Queen show. We'll see you. Can you believe it's the same group? I like it. Anyway, there's some scritty polity, early scritty polity, and a lot of bands started off not knowing how to play their instruments, and they ended up not needing to know how to play their instruments. I love that guy's voice. That was um, The Sweetest Girl from 1981 with Robert Wyatt on piano, and before that, PAs, song called PAs, Political equip, Equipment Based, I don't know, and before that, Skank Block Bologna, which was their initial foray into the recorded sound world thingy anyway it the rest is history anyway i hope you enjoyed the show today i know it was very strange but i particularly enjoy the first half with the um scientology and whatnot my name is gilbert neal i don't know what's coming up next on my thingy here but it's always a pleasure and never a chore and um let me know that you're listening on the Facebook. This is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities on WHUP. Let's see what happens next. Next. Here you come. I know it's going to be good. Streaming live at streaming live at W A. Streaming live at W A. PM, you're listening to 